0: We can say collectively, to this we hold, our shepherd shall defend us through the deepest valley he shall lead. We've been studying in John's gospel, the I am sayings of Jesus. Thus far, we have considered Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep. And this morning, out of John chapter 10, verses 11 through 30, we're going to consider Jesus saying of himself in truth, I am the good shepherd. So if you would join me in John chapter 10, I'm going to read these verses here in just a moment. But first I want to remind you, To the saints under the old covenant, it was declared to them by David in the 23rd Psalm that the Lord God of heaven and earth was their shepherd. Obviously, and rightly so, we draw great comfort and strength from that timeless revelation of God about his being the very shepherd of our souls, And it was during the ministry of Christ on earth where he spoke these words that we'll consider this morning, reminding you that they are in response to the Pharisees asking him a question, are we blind also? This is really a rebuke to them. Last week when he said of himself, I am the door, he rebuked them by comparing them to thieves and robbers. This week, that rebuke continues as he compares them to the hireling. We'll read of that in just a moment. So we have under the Old Covenant in the Psalms, Psalm 23, we have from Jesus' own words as he lived in John 10, and then to the first century Christians, Peter wrote in his first epistle in the fifth chapter, though he was specifically addressing the under shepherds, the pastors of the churches, He there calls for us all, especially those under shepherds, to be awaiting the glorious appearing of our chief shepherd. So the Lord has gone to great length, and it has pleased Him to use this example drawn from everyday life to reveal Himself to saints of all ages, through all ages. That he is indeed the great shepherd of the sheep. And we need a shepherd. If any day is impressed upon us our need for a shepherd, certainly it is today. This is the day that we have. Tomorrow has not yet come. Yesterday has passed. Today we need a shepherd. I don't know how closely you follow the news. I won't suggest that you follow it too closely. But to stay abreast of things happening in the world, this truth is being impressed upon us as Christians time and time again. We need someone in heaven who is leading, protecting, guiding, and feeding us daily, hourly, even minute By minute, the scriptures tell us we have that person seated at the right hand of God. He has ascended back into heaven. He is ever living now to make intercession for us. And in all of his glory and splendor as being seated at the right hand of God, in all of that intercessory ministry that he is even now carrying on for us, This great truth remains standing, that he is seated there as the shepherd of his people. That ministry of his has not ceased. We truly, as the people of God, have no want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as we prepare to read these verses, let me also remind you that these greatest truths concerning his love and care for his own was spoken in the hearing of those who would not come to him. They would not. I wonder how often this proves to be true in our own day. I wonder if it will be proven true again today. Lord willing God helping me and God helping you we will hear the gospel again today the good news which concerns the care of the good shepherd for our souls will be heard again the way that he has opened himself he declared to be the very door of the sheep believers It would befit me and it would befit you to even right now, silently in your own heart, ask God to give you an ear to hear this gospel again, afresh and anew. The gospel is for believing people. Very often you would hear something of the nature of the gospel is for unbelievers. It is, but as a believer, I need to hear it often myself to be reminded Of what he has done for me. So, those of you who are believing, ask of God, pray that he would help you. This is a prayer that would honor him, this is a prayer that he would delight to answer. He wants you to be comforted in the very depth of your soul by these great truths yet again. And for those of you who are not yet believing, be honest enough with yourself to confess that I am not yet believing. Yot not yet having made a public profession of faith in the good shepherd. Would you do this? Even as I and those sitting around you will do along with you, would you plead for an eye to see and for an ear to hear? And would you plead for the ability to respond in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a prayer that he delights to answer. Perhaps you are not yet believing because there just has not been enough light shed on the subject. So ask the light of the world to give light to your soul so that you may see the truth. Now, if you'd read with me from verse 11 down through verse 30 of John chapter 10. Again, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, Most assuredly, I'm actually beginning in verse 7, sorry. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd, therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command or this commission I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. As if he hadn't done so already. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God we've read these words of your Son, our Savior, again. He makes open declaration in them that he is the door of the sheep and the good shepherd, having given his life for the sheep. So, Father, we ask you, we ask that even now the Spirit of God would come alongside of us and make these sayings of Christ known. That there would be new light given and that we would behold these things afresh. That our hearts would be filled again with a new song of praise to our God for the salvation that we have been given. For the salvation that has come at a great cost, the very life's blood of your son, we are thankful that he had the power to lay his life down and the power to take it up again. We ask these things in his name, believing they accord to his will for us. Amen. Immediately after Jesus says in verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly, he says, I am the good shepherd. He is both the provider and the guide in the abundant life. Now, even the phrase abundant life has far too often been abused. The abundant life is far too often equated with the prosperity gospel, the false gospel of health and wealth. The abundant life that Jesus speaks of here has nothing to do with that type of prosperity. The abundant life that Jesus speaks of here has to do with soul prosperity. It has to do with us more fully recognizing who he is and what he provides for us, how he protects, leads, guides, feeds, every aspect of being a shepherd. Everything that we receive at his hand is a description and definition of what the abundant life is. Jesus is the door to this life. He is the door by which we enter. He is also the door by which we not only gain entrance into the sheepfold, but the green pasture that the sheep feed in. His declaration in the 11th verse follows the familiar pattern that we have seen in the last several weeks. In the original language, Jesus says, I, even I, am the good shepherd. I, especially me, I am the good shepherd. I want you to see here that the emphasis in the original language is placed upon the adjective good. It literally could be translated beautiful. No translation gives it to us in that way. But if you study this word, you'll find out that that would would be a faithful representation of it. And if we were to read it that way, I am the beautiful shepherd. And he's not there speaking of his appearance. His appearance would very soon be so marred that Isaiah tells us he would not even be recognizable as being human, as being a man. So he's not here referring to his outward appearance at all. William Hendrickson helps us to understand this word when he defines its two characteristics. He says that Jesus is here referring to his character as being good and the work that he will accomplish as being the good shepherd. So I want you to think on those two aspects of the word good. When Jesus says, I, even I, am the good, beautiful shepherd. In character, being good, he willingly takes on this work. We're going to talk about that more fully as we progress through these verses, but in character, being the very Son of God, having for a time set all of that aside and entered into his own creation, becoming subject to his own law. He is in every way a beautiful shepherd. And those who have seen him with eyes of faith Those who have had the light of the Spirit of God shine brightly enough upon us to see Him for that, recognize Him to be the beautiful shepherd. How lost would we be in this life if we hadn't seen Him? For some, the light shines the brightest through dark circumstance and situations. That's how some of you came to faith in Christ. You were at the end of your rope. You had fallen as low as you could possibly fall. You have tasted of this world and you had found out that it had nothing good to offer whatsoever. It's all empty. It's all vanity. And in mercy and grace, through some means or another, you heard the message of the gospel and you saw for the first time the beauty of this shepherd. And you came to him, you heard his voice and you ran just like a sheep to the one who called you out by name. But not everyone comes to faith in that way. That's the danger that we have to deal with. We try to, because of our own nature, we try to to put salvation or coming to faith in Christ in a box and say it's the same way for every person. Some people come to Christ at an early age, not yet having the experiences in the world. But yet Christ is no less beautiful to them. Because along with this revelation of who he is comes the knowledge of sin. And of sinfulness, and of the expectation that there is nothing to gain or profit from sin or sinfulness than the wrath of God. And so it doesn't matter at the end of your rope or just starting out in life. If the Spirit of God shows you who Jesus is, then you recognize that He is beautiful from every angle, and He is indeed good. Good in his character. Secondly, he's good in his work. He accomplished a work that no other living being could accomplish. No king could accomplish this work. No collection of kings. No nation nor collection of nations. No collection of righteous men. Just one the God-man. Having wrapped himself in flesh coming to earth, he accomplished what no one else could. He says very plainly in verse 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Notice he does not say the good shepherd gives of his abundant means for the sheep we know that Jesus as the God man though he had set everything aside and did not even have a place to lay his head we know that he was rich beyond measure he had legions of angels at his disposal he could have called them down from heaven yet he didn't he does not say out of my abundance He says, I give my life for the sheep. This is the purest and simplest gospel. The gospel is simple. To our own fault as men, we make it complicated. Jesus simply says, I give my life For the sheep. Every word there is important. The good shepherd gives. His life was not taken from him. We're going to see that again in verse 17. The good shepherd not only gives his life. Notice the word for. This little preposition, there is so much gospel tied up in this little three-letter word. We can complicate this word with terms like vicarious atonement, and you should know that word. You need to know what it means. Jesus in your place, vicariously propitiating the wrath of God on your benefit and your behalf. But even the simplest mind can understand this word for. Jesus died for the sheep, in the place of his sheep. Though it's translated for here, it could rightly and is rightly translated as above or over. In other places, think of it in that way. Jesus saying, I give my life above, in place of the sheep. And in that sense, the imagery of a shepherd and sheep comes, comes out full. The shepherd we saw last week, or the doorkeeper, most likely one of many shepherds in a group would lay his body across the entryway to the sheepfold at night to keep the thieves, the robbers, and the wolves at bay. Jesus picks up on that image and he says here in this, I give my life for the sheep. Keep reading in the next verse, he says at the end of it, I lay down my life for the sheep the most glorious life that was ever lived on earth the son of God incarnate sinless perfect spotless in every way perfectly fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law of God he says it is this life that I gave this life that I lay down And he did it very specifically for his sheep. Before we go any further with that, I want you to see what Jesus is contrasting, who Jesus is contrasting himself with. So the first point, obviously the good shepherd, the two aspects, his character, his work. The second point here is Jesus contrasting himself with the hireling verse 12 but a hireling he who is not the shepherd one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them The hireling flees because he is a hireling. Notice this. The nature of a hireling is to do what? To leave when danger comes. The nature of the hireling is the exact opposite of the nature of the good shepherd. Notice the words used to describe what a hireling does. And remember here, Jesus is referring to the pharisees when he uses this this term hireling a hireling is alert enough to know danger when he sees it he knows a wolf is a wolf and when that wolf growls loudly enough and his own life is threatened The scripture here says, Jesus here says, he leaves the sheep and flees. Because he does not care about the sheep. You know, sometimes the way that we see the glory of a thing is to look at its opposite. Let's do that for just a moment. Let's see the glory of the good, beautiful shepherd in the opposite of this hireling. The good shepherd also sees the danger. The good shepherd sees a wolf as a wolf. And when that wolf growls loudly enough and gets close enough that his own life is in danger, What does the good shepherd do? Does he turn and run and flee? Absolutely not. The good shepherd has told us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But what he does do is, instead of leaving and fleeing, when the wolf is there, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I give my most precious Possession, my life's blood for the sheep. Is it any wonder when we get to verse 19 that there's a division again amongst the Jews? The Pharisees had just heard themselves condemned as thieves, robbers, and hirelings. And it has made them angry because they're self righteous, seeking to establish their own righteousness. Jesus has completely exposed it. Even as he would further expose it in another place by saying, You are whitewashed tombs, the outside of you looks magnificent, but the inside of you, you are filled with dead men's bones. He compares himself and contrasts to the hireling and to our great benefit. He makes himself more beautiful. He presents himself as being more good as he shows the depravity of a hireling. Jesus says down in verse 16. Excuse me, let's go back to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. When you see the word known here, you need to realize that this is a perfect, full knowledge. This is not a partial knowledge. And reading it that way, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. Jesus knows everything about you. Yes, he knows your name. That's the emphasis in this particular passage of Scripture. But this word also reaches down and grabs every detail about your life. You are perfectly known. There is nothing secret about you. Speaking specifically to believers, the sheep that are referenced here, Jesus knows your every tendency to weakness. And he acts to you accordingly. Just as the shepherd knew his sheep very well, he knew which sheep were prone to wander away from him. He knew which sheep had bad feet. He knew which sheep had any particular need. And he acted to them according to that. Jesus knows you intimately. And his ministry to you is specifically fitted for you. He knows when to take the crook of his staff and place it around your neck and gently bring you back in. And he also knows when to break your leg throw you on his shoulders and carry you back into the sheepfold. That is the intimate knowledge of this shepherd for you. And we can rest assured that both of those, and I've given you the extremes, the gentle tug and the breaking of the leg, we can know that both of those he will do when necessary. But there's another side to this coin. Not only does Jesus perfectly know his sheep, he says, and I am known by my own. Now think just a minute with me about the magnitude of this statement. Here we are a depraved humanity having fallen headlong into sin. Having been redeemed by the blood of this lamb, this shepherd, he now says, I am known by my own. Not that we have to the same degree a perfect and intimate knowledge of who he is, but that we know him at all is a miracle of grace. That we know him at all in this capacity of being a shepherd is a miracle of the grace of God. And I've said already, I'm going to repeat it, the greatest truth concerning his care and love for his own was spoken in the hearing of those who would not hear it. Their ears were closed against it. God help anyone who has entered this place this morning with an ear closed intentionally not to hear the good voice of this shepherd. And thank God he can intervene. And he can speak loudly enough to dig out your ears. That's Psalm 40. My ears you have Opened, literally, the word there means you have dug out my ears so that I can hear. You have given me the ability to hear things spiritual where once there was no ability at all. So he knows the sheep and the sheep know him. And then interestingly in verse 15, Jesus interjects this knowledge of the Father and the Son. And admittedly, it seems out of place on first reading. It doesn't seem really to fit the analogy as we're just giving a casual reading through. But I want you to read it with me again. Verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And then he gives us this statement based upon the perfect knowledge of the Father and Son and I lay down my life for the sheep. The first part of verse 15, Jesus says, as the Father knows me. The first and second persons of the Godhead. The Father knows the Son. The Son equally knows the Father. The result of this knowledge between Father and Son is the laying down of the Son's life for the sheep. Now, I can't tell you exactly what all that means, but I think I can tell you at least it means this. The Father and the Son, perfect knowledge of one another. The Son knows the Father is just, He is holy. And He will not overlook sin. The Father knows that the Son is good, He is meek, and He is mild. He is gentle and He is lowly. He is willing to set aside His glory. He is willing to come and in eternity past, the scripture tells us that they made a covenant together that the Son would come and accomplish the salvation of His sheep. Perhaps that's why Jesus interjects this here. I know the Father just and holy and He will require a payment for your sins. The Father, I know that the second person of the Trinity, gentle and lowly, he will accomplish a redemption. Jesus says, as a result of this perfect knowledge of Father and Son, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is necessity. This is an absolute necessity that we cannot bend on if we hold a true gospel of Christ. His life had to be laid down because he knew the just judgment of the Father would come in time. And the Father knew that this gentle and lowly shepherd would willingly go to the cross of Calvary and lay his life down there for his sheep. Thank God he did. The third part of this is in verse 18. Excuse me, verse 16. Jesus speaks of not only himself as being the good shepherd, and then contrasts himself with the hireling, And speaks of the knowledge of the Father and the Son and vice versa. He speaks of there being one shepherd for one flock. Verse 16, other sheep I have. Can I point out something to you? He's already claiming possession of this sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Please, look at this word, must. Don't miss it. It's not there superfluously. It's not the addition of some scribe that's contained in a textual variant. Jesus clearly and plainly says, Them also I must bring. This sheep of the other fold refers to me and it refers to you. It refers to Gentiles brought in. These sheep of another fold. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Jews. And he says, I have sheep of another fold and I must bring them in. Listen to this. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock. And there will be one shepherd. If your theology greatly distinct, makes a great distinction... Between the Jew and the Gentile, we've misunderstood the mystery of Paul in Ephesians 2. We've misunderstood Jesus' words here. There is one flock comprised of Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and there is one shepherd. Jesus says, they will hear my voice. Two things I want to say about that. This is the very fuel for missions. There are those who will hear. You may talk to a thousand, and it may be the next one that hears, but there will be some who hear. There will be some in the midst of the chaos of life who will hear. They will hear my voice. The reason they will hear perhaps is given in Psalm 110 verse 3. Your people, read it this way, your sheep will be willing in the day of your power. The new King James bumbles that a bit and says, your people will volunteer in the day of your power. They will hear my voice. They will be made willing. And there will be one flock. And there will be one shepherd. What's the end result of all of this in verse 17? Therefore, we know that that word is It's tying things together. It's reaching a, a culmination. The foundation has been set. Therefore, Jesus says, My Father loves me. Don't forget, in all of your gospel preaching and all of your gospel study, The central figure is Christ in his glory. Therefore, my father loves the sheep. True enough. But Jesus says, therefore, my father loves me. He loves me. What was dimly seen in Abraham and Isaac, you remember back in Genesis 22, you remember. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is told, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What was dimly seen there through type and shadow is on glorious display here between the father and the son. Abraham truly indeed loved Isaac as being his only son of promise. It was through Isaac that all the promises of the covenant would come, but yet here, as the antitype, as that type and shadow is fulfilled, Jesus says, "Therefore, my Father loves me." Isaac was spared the knife, not this son. He is the provision. Isaac was spared because there was a ram caught in the thicket. This son was not spared. There was nothing to whom the father's justice could appeal. He loves the son. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Again, we can't help but see the prefigurement of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, most scholars tell us, roughly, you know, 13 years old, enough to put up a, physically enough to put up a struggle. I want you to think of, of Silas, is 13. Silas could put up a pretty good tussle if he wanted to. But Isaac, he doesn't. But Abraham knew, the scripture tells us, that if he took his son's life, God was going to raise him from the dead. Isaac didn't know that. Jesus being the perfect fulfillment of that says, I lay down my life. He's gentle, he's lowly, he's meek, he's mild. But this son says that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. <clears throat> no one takes it from me. Of Jesus' own free will, he made himself a sacrifice for sin. Listen to these words by J.C. Ryle. Christ was not obliged. He was not compelled by some superior force. No one could have taken his life had he not been willing to lay it down. And he did so because he had made covenant with the Father to give himself as a propitiation For the sins of his people. End quote. He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up again. This commission or command he had received from his father. For the sake of time, I want you to skip down with me to verse twenty five. Jesus here answering the question of the Pharisees. Notice it's a clearly understood, honest question. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And they get just as straightforward and clear and an honest answer. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, And I give them eternal life. This is the great exchange. Those who have no life get everything by faith in Christ. Those whose only lives Are bound up in space and in time, in the temporal nature of this world and what it offers, is given by faith in Christ. Based upon his laying down his life, shedding his blood, they are given eternal life. And that abundant. And it's free. The greatest transaction that you can ever make is one that will cost you nothing. Come freely. Without money. Without price. Trust. That this good shepherd, the life that he laid down willing in your place, The blood that he shed in your place. The condemnation that was poured out upon him in your place. If you will yet believe that he did this to pacify the wrath of God, do you? The scripture says you'll be saved. You'll be saved. One other quote from J.C. Ryle as I wind down. How would you answer this question? What caused the death of Christ? What caused it? Don't ascribe the cause of his death to the power of the Jews. Don't ascribe the cause of his death to Pilate. Don't ascribe the cause of his death to the Roman soldiers. If we understand the gospel rightly, we will ascribe the cause of Christ's death as being his own love to sinners. That's why he laid down his life at Calvary. Willingly and freely. Now what are you going to do with this information? The good shepherd has come. He's given himself. He laid down his life. He took it up again. He ascended into heaven. All who come to him, he will by no means cast out. Whoever comes to him believing will be received. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that the message of your gospel, Lord, that you would add your blessing to it. Lord, we are thankful for Christ, our good shepherd. Thankful that it was his great love for us, even while we were yet sinners. While we were still at enmity with God. While we were still sinners and living out our sinfulness, he died for us. Father, would you take this message, the very power of God unto salvation. Use it for your own glory, both in the lives of those who are believing and of those who have yet to come to faith in Christ. Do that which most honors and glorifies yourself. Do that which most exalts your Son. For we pray and ask it in his name, amen.